Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. My name is Ira Work, and I am sitting in the Paul Winkler chair today. Paul took off. What an honor. I feel very honored. You're a big <laughs> and, boy now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here with Ann Sawaski, one of our coaches here at the Paul Winkler Company. Good afternoon. And what we do with this show is we talk everything about money. We're talking about investing. We'll talk about insurance. Maybe not all these different topics today. Financial planning. But as an investor coaching company, I thought we'd talk a little bit about coaching this first part of the hour. Great idea. And one of the things that I think would be good to lead off with is what we call the myths of investing. Mm-hmm. Um, this was something that I actually became introduced to about 17 years into my career. Stuff that the industry knows, but the industry doesn't teach because there's not as much money for the industry to make because the money stays with the clients. Right. I always tell people if you, mm. if they really teach you this, then most of the time the clients realize that what they're trying to sell you probably isn't the best thing. No, because what they try to do is they try to sell you on fear right. and greed. Right. You can get these better returns or you won't lose your money. So when we're talking about a myth, you know, what is a myth? A myth is a commonly held belief that might not actually be true. So if you think back to the times of the Salem witch trials, there was this myth that these women possessed these powers to actually put curses on people. And as a result, people lost their lives. People were burned at the stake. And unfortunately, we can see the same thing happening with investors who buy into the myths. So what are the myths? What's the first myth, Ann? Stock picking. Mm -hmm. That stock picking, that there are certain people or companies that have a special ability to pick what the best stock is mm -hmm. in the future. Absolutely. And that they have the ability to identify stocks that are undervalued, which they believe and they're going to tell you and sell you as they're going to go up, or they believe they're overvalued. And as a result, you should be getting out of them because they're going to go down. And what we see from the research, because we're an academically driven research firm, is that money managers cannot do this. But yeah, the key is they can't do it consistently. Or predictably. Right, right. So when you look at the research from Dalbar, which is a company that is not actually in the investment business, they don't really have a dog in the fight. What they do is they study investor behavior. And what they have found, and they update this study every year, it's a 30-year study, and it is remarkable of how close the returns come out year after year after year after year. And typically, the market based upon the S&P 500, outperforms the individual equity investor 
by about 3%. When you look at a 3% loss over a th every year over a 30-year period, that could be the difference of accumulating $2.1 million versus $700,000. Right, and think of what a difference that makes for you as a retiree. What would your life be like with, I mean, in that case, what, three times the amount of money? Three times the amount of money in retirement. Right. You know, <laughs> with the ability for that money to grow. Right. That's okay. even a bigger point because it's going to keep growing if it's managed properly. Right. And in addition, that money continuing to grow in the portfolio could give you the opportunity to increase the income into your household, which helps you stay ahead of inflation, thereby always maintaining the same lifestyle and perhaps leaving a legacy in addition to that. Right. Without right. the fear of running out of money. The second myth that we want to talk about, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at some articles to hopefully get you to start seeing things a little bit the way we see them. Where, let's call it training, because what does a coach do? A coach trains you. We don't train you to do what we do. We don't train you to manage portfolios. But what we train you to do is to be able to identify those things that are actually working against you as an investor that keep you from earning the money that you can possibly be earning in your portfolio. So the second myth that we're going to talk about now is track record investing. And track record investing is trying, is trying to identify what's going to do well in the future based upon past performance. Now, I've sat here enough with Paul and heard his analogy, and it's a great analogy. It's like, you know, Ann and I leaving the radio station today and getting in our cars and trying to drive to our houses or to a company Christmas party and just looking in the rearview mirror. Probably yeah. wouldn't be very successful. Especially in Nashville traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in yeah. Nashville traffic. Yeah. So... We want to look at a 10-year period because you hear people on the radio say you want to find funds that have a good three, five, and 10-year track record. So if we looked at a period from 2003 to 2012, there were 3,896 stocks that you could have chose from. The top 30 managers did an annualized return of 18.01%, which you'd have to be happy with the 18.1%. Right, and especially considering that was over double what the market did. That's correct. Yes. Um, however, the average equity fund or stock fund is 7.67, right. less than half. Yeah. Okay. The S&P 500 at 8.8 during that time. And there's another benchmark that we looked at that was designed from the Center of Research for Security Pricing. Another organization that is not in the investment business as far as having a dog in the fight, trying to sell you stuff, they just track investments. Their return for that 10-year period was just shy of 10%. Now, if you were looking at investing in January of 2012, 2013, excuse me, and you went into an advisor and that advisor was saying, well, I'm using these top 30 funds. Look at what they did for the past 10 years. They did 18%. Right. They beat the market for 10 years. So it's so tempting to mm. think that that would be the smart move. Yep. And then you run into the advisor next door. Yeah. 
And they said, well, we like these funds that try to benchmark and we're using the S&P 500 fund and they did 8.84% for the last 10 years. Which advisor do you think most people would go with? They're going to go with the, what did well lately. Yeah, <laughs> it's the tempting. One, the one that just had that yep. 18% return. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because one of the things I've experienced in my nearly 40-year career is that most investors seem to believe that they're entitled to the highest rate of return. That's true. That's and, true. And that there's an advisor out there who can actually identify which funds are going to be the best mm -hmm. funds going forward. Mm -hmm. And we like to call it magical thinking. <laughs> That's what... You might kind of think of, you know, if you're not from this area, uh, like me, I didn't grow up here in Nashville, um, but you often hear people talk about people who grew up here in Nashville as unicorns. You don't run into them very often. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and that unicorn advisor really doesn't exist, the one that could identify. So... Those 30 funds, naturally the advisor wouldn't know which one's going to be the best one. So maybe he says, you know, maybe he's honest enough to say, I don't know which one of these will be the best going forward. So let's just spread your money out over all 30 of them. We'll get you diversified and, you know, we should really do well. How do you think that those 30 funds did? In the next period of time? The yep, next from 2013 to 2022, yeah. They underperformed. That's, market. That's right. Yeah. By a significant amount. By three and a half three, percent. Three percent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So over the next 10 years, once again, we see a return of less than three and a half percent of the market, which right. falls right in line with the Dalbar study. Which is th that investors typically underperform the market by about three yeah. percent. Right. So the S&P did 13.7 that. Uh, that um, other index from the Center of Research for Security Pricing, which we simply say crisp, it's a little bit mm -hmm. easier than that big long name, did 13.4%. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting about that is it's much more diversified than the S&P 500. And as a result of that, it's a lot safer. You'll get better returns with, a lot, with less risk. So... The thing to kind of understand from this is that a manager's ability to pick stocks in the past has little to no correlation of his or her ability to consistently do it in the future. And one of the best ways to invest is in a portfolio that you can look at diversification, understand the goal rate for a portfolio, understand the time that it will take for the portfolio because depending upon how much risk you're taking based on the level of stocks that you have, whether it be 60% or 85% or 95%, the fluctuation in those portfolios can vary widely. And as a result, it might take a few more years for an aggressive portfolio to have the goal rate returns than a portfolio that's 60%. Right, right. And so, so that's why your time horizon when you invest is very important. Yes, absolutely. And the thing that most of 
investors do, which we find, is that they tend to look at what is going to pay me the highest rate of return going forward. Mm -hmm. And I see this with a lot of people when they come into the office. You know, I don't know if you see this as well, Ann. Um, you know, and if they're anywhere between, let's say, 50 and 60, mm -hmm. you know, maybe even to 62, they're saying, look, I know I need to take more risk. I'm willing to take more risk because I'm a little bit behind. I, I know need to I'm catch behind. up. Right. Yes. And is that a wise thing to do? No. Why? No. Because there's a sequence of returns risk, which is basically, you. I mean, you need to have enough time for the portfolio to obtain the goal. And if you end up having a bad market in the couple of years before you retire, you can affect your long-term retirement income mm -hmm. by, a, I think it's 20%. Yeah. You know, less, so, less. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about a portfolio, like I know uh, one of the aggressive portfolios that mm -hmm. we work with, it has the potential of dropping 54% mm -hmm. in a given year. If we had, for example, another 2008 right. worldwide financial crisis. So if you're coming up on nearly a million dollars, you know, a year or two before retirement and you have that type of correction, you could have half of your assets right. lost. Right. And now you need about 140% return to make up that 50% loss. Right. So we're going to go to a break and then we're going to continue on with the next myth uh, right after this. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. And welcome back to the Investor Coaching Show. Yes, it is a little frightful out there, but I am definitely not ready for snow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't miss that. I would not care if it didn't snow this year. <laughs> See, I love snow. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when I can be at home and I have nowhere to go. So it's good <laughs> Saturday, clear up Sunday and go to work Monday. Well, that song with that. Dean Martin, he's got a drink in his hand and he's got nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel you. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, don't be trying to listen to us on the airplane. <laughs> you should have been here. Yeah, I think he's checking up on us. Yeah, no, I, like, I know no, he is. I like this opportunity that he gave me to do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you're listening to the Investor Coaching Show on WTN 99.7. We're looking at the myths of investing. Myth number one, stock picking. Myth number two, track record investing. And now we're going to unfold myth number three. Market timing. Right. The hardest myth to break. 
And why is that? Why do you think that is? It's so tempting because they play on your fear. Well, even if they don't, even if the industry itself doesn't play on the fear, you know, let's say you're a, you're sitting at home, you're a do-it-yourself investor. Mm-hmm. Okay, it feels right. Right, right, it does. You know, if the markets are going down, if I get out now, I'm going to keep from losing money. Right. I mean, it's very tempting to think that you're protecting yourself because you people inherently want to flee from pain. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's painful to see your portfolio go down, Absolutely. especially in a 2020 and, you know, January through March. Yeah. When the world shut down or 2008. Yep. So the, defini- the definition of market timing is any attempt, any being underlined in bold, if you will, any attempt to offer or alter or change the mix of investments Um, based on a forecast or a prediction about the future. And the thing is, nobody can forecast it. Nobody was able to tell 9-11 was going to happen. No one was able to tell that the Ukrainian war was going to break out. No one was able to foretell or predict that we were going to have a worldwide uh, pandemic. Right. No one was able to foretell what happened in Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, No one can foretell what the weather is going to be tomorrow with any real accuracy. No one could foretell that last Saturday there would be 13 tornadoes in the Nashville area. I mean, that many? 13, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they knew there was going to be weather, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't foretell the kind of devastation. I live up uh, in the area that was hit very hard. So, you can't see these things coming in order and and the danger about market timing is uh, you, you're more likely to be wrong than you are to be right. Well, in order to be right with market timing, you have to be right twice. Right, You have exactly. to be right that you're getting out at the high mm-hmm. and that you're getting in at the bottom. Right. And I think the biggest problem is trying to get back in at the bottom because mm-hmm. what you see in the market go down and you don't really know that it hit the bottom. Right. And there's something which we refer to on Wall Street called a dead cat bounce. I know that sounds kind of not not nice, a dead cat bounce. Mm -hmm. But that's when the market goes down, then it starts to go back up. And the players of Wall Street will call that a dead cat bounce with anticipating or predicting or forecasting that that's not a real market upturn, that it is going to drop once again. Right. So people will hang out on the side trying to watch it, and then it continues to go up, and now you didn't get into the bottom. Right, right. You know, so you miss that move, and most people don't get out at the top. Why do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I guess they don't get out at the top because, I don't know, people see patterns, and uh-huh. they want to keep seeing that pattern going going uh, forward and it's up, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to keep going up. It's going to yep. keep going up. I attribute it to greed. Why right. would I, I want to so. get out mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. when my portfolio is going up or my stock is going up? You know, right. I'm making money. So I bought it at 20. It's at 50. You know, I have 150% gain. You know what? Let me wait till it gets to 55 and then I'll get out. Well, and fear of missing out too. 
Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, what if it goes up another 100% and I sold? Yeah. And also I think taxes. Oh, I don't want to pay taxes. You do hear that a lot too. Uh, we do hear that a lot. Yes. Um, yes. And that is the tax tail wagon, the investment portfolio. Right. You right. Know, it's, you know, right now we happen to be in a very good period of time when it comes to taxes. And we should really be looking at taking money off the table, paying those taxes, repositioning the portfolios perhaps, so that we can take advantage of this because the tax act that was signed by President Trump at the time is actually going to expire at the end of 2024. So in 2025, unless Congress does something, which I don't think they will, but this isn't a political show, um, we're going to see higher taxes. Right, and that's a great point. So people are afraid to pay taxes now when it's actually at the lowest it's been in many years. So, my gosh, if you're not going to pay them now, when are you going to pay them? Probably not at a good time. Yep. And so, you know, with market timing, whether it's trying to time your taxes, trying to time the market, there was a gentleman by the name, a PhD by the name of Dr. Charles Ellis, and he wrote a book called Investment Policy. And everybody should have an investment policy statement with their financial advisor. How to win the loser's game. And he said the evidence on investment managed success with market timing is impressive and overwhelmingly negative. And Dr. Ellis actually consults pension plans for companies around the world. So I think he has a very, very good insight as to what advisors and, and, and investors are doing and what these money managers are doing and how they are actually hurting the individual investor. Which then brings us to the last myth, myth number four. And there's actually a lot more, but these are the four biggest myths that we find. And myth number four is the costs of investing. And with the cost of investing, what you don't see can hurt you. It's the myth is that what you don't see can't hurt you. Yeah. You know, kind of like sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words do hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you can't get over the words that were spoken to you. Um, And sometimes if your investments are not doing what they should be doing, you might not be able to have the retirement that you plan to have. Well, and even uh, with the costs, um, the the investment industry is so good at hiding them. Oh, yes. So, So you really, you know, they'll advertise, oh, it's a very low cost fund. Well, but they don't tell you... Um, the hidden costs in that fund that would come from all of the trading, the taxes you pay on the trading, the um, the bid bid ask price, the um, and even well, ex- explain the bid ask price. Well, there's a difference between well, basically uh, there is a cost to sell and to buy, mm-hmm. and there's a difference in that cost. So when you are buying, you're buying at a higher rate than you're selling. Right. So you could actually literally buy and sell the exact same stock within seconds. At the same second. Right. And, and you would lose money. Right. So one of the easy ways that I like to teach investors about the bid and ask spread cost is this. You can go into CVS, you can go into Walgreens or Target, 
and you can buy your favorite toothpaste. They buy it from the manufacturer at one price. They sell it to you for the other price, for the retail price. The difference between the two is what we call the spread. And the spread is what we have in stocks with the difference of the offer price and the bid price. The offer price being what you're buying it for, the bid price, what they're paying you for it. Mm -hmm. And every time you buy and sell a share of stock, it's not going directly to the other person. Like, so example, for example, if I was selling Facebook and Ann was buying Facebook, there would be somebody in the middle between Ann and myself actually handling the transaction. And that spread, maybe she's buying it. I don't, I don't even know what Facebook is selling for because I don't follow individual stocks. But maybe it's selling for $200 and maybe the bid they're paying me $199.90. Mm-hmm. So there's what's a 10, a 10 cent spread. Well, per share. Per, correct, per share. Mm-hmm. So that stocks trades millions of shares a day. So one of the problems is, is that the mutual funds, this is a hidden cost, the, because it's not published anywhere, the mutual fund companies actually pay the bid and ask spread. The mutual fund companies also pay commissions. Mm-hmm. when they sell or buy stocks. Now, because they're trading millions of shares, they may end up paying a lower commission than you or as an individual investor may pay. But those are just two of the many costs that mutual funds have. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.